Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts from the Rocketeer Minute and the Apollo 13 Minute, Jim O'Kane. And I'm Hal Bryan of the Rocketeer Minute. And I'm Chris Henry from the Apollo 13 Minute. And, you know, Chris, this is one of those weird things where it's like, uh, and Jimmy and I went through this, I think, with Mark Cerulli in one of our episodes, but uh, but now it's like uh, I'm the ex-wife and I'm over for <laughs> dinner and, uh, you know, you two guys have had your show since then. But now well, even your show is... That's complete, not how so I view it. How I view it more as a, as a, as a swinger uh, situation. I, so. I'm, 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 the, I'm the Fred Derry in this relationship, I feel. <laughs> Fantastic. Very well done. Leave your keys wow. in the basket, sir. Well, here, here we are. I'm, I'm here with the A-team for sure. Uh, uh, Hal and Chris, we've made, we made a lot of great uh, shows together. And let's see if we can <laughs> put it all to rest with this. No, yes, uh, exactly. It's not over yet. Yeah, but we're uh, we're going gangbusters on this one. We are in right here. This is bar none my favorite movie of all time, and I know that's a, I've watched a lot of movies, but this really to me this is the epitome of movie making of what it what it means to go to the movies and and immerse yourself in the story. There's so much going on here: the acting, the direction, the editing, the musical score. Everything just pulls me right out of this year and sticks me right in 1946, uh, helping the boys come home. I, I, I'm sure you guys feel in, in a similar uh, state with this. Absolutely. And, and one thing I did want to say, I don't want to belabor this, but uh, uh, not to go all uh, maudlin on anybody or anything, but uh, as we're recording this, it was just about a, year, a little more than a year ago that I lost my uh, eldest brother. And I wanted to point out that... that uh, He's the one who got me into this movie, and this was—he uh, was the connoisseur of bad movies. Like for him, Plan Nine from Outer Space was several orders of magnitude too good to be on his <laughs> radar. So he was down there with things like The Beast of Yucca Flats. But when you when you hit the button on the shot collar and got him to talk about movies he really loved, this uh, was tops in his list as well. His absolute all-time favorite. So in my mind, I I, uh, I dedicate some of our conversations on this to him. Much wow. appreciated. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, if I have never seen this movie, I've never seen anybody watch this movie and walk away saying, "Well, it was okay." It's it, it the it's three hours long and it just blows right by. And it you kind of leave in the same function of shell shock that some of these guys were in. It's it's so uh, words fail, and it it it's it, it's so real to me that it, it feels like it, it's 1946, but it feels like it's happening right now. I I think it was pretty pretty brave of them, uh, in some regards, to make this film so quickly. You know, after the end of the war, and to touch on things that we generally don't associate with a World War II veterans like you know PTSD that that even they at the time really didn't have a handle on. Um, you know, my heart kind of wrenches when you, when you, you know, see the nightmare sequence, you know, when he's, when he's talking to another airplane to try to bail out and things like that. And, and, uh, uh, it, I, it's just a film that I thought was, you know, it was pretty cutting edge for it, for a, a film that was made just after the end of the war. And I think Hal and I, you and I were talking about that the other day. Right. It, it feels like, and I was saying to Jim, uh, before we started recording tonight that, uh, if you would just give me the script to this film, I would read it and I say this was written, you know, in the '60s. This could have been written in the in the '70s. It you know it might have been the the 
best script from that era, but it's it is so um, it is so forward looking uh, in so many ways, and it's so it's it's truly just ahead of its time. You know, that's an easy thing to say, but it it absolutely was. It takes such a nuanced look at and such a real look at the the human side of World War II and. Chris, I think you nailed it. So it was a very brave choice to make this movie when they did. Because we can look back now, you know, 75, 80 years on, and you know, react to these things and understand what these guys might have gone through, what it was like for them to come home. But, uh, but boy, in 1946, you, you came home, you, you went back to the farm, you went back to Woolworth for your job, you stood up straight. You said, we won. The party's over. Let's get back to work and move on with our lives. We don't talk about this stuff. And Chris, you and I find that to this day that even now, our few surviving World War II veterans, some of them are only just now sort of wanting to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that uh, the stories that we get you know, around the B-17 um, in the museum and different aircraft uh, in the collection, um, it's only then that, you know, that a lot of these veterans are sort of back near this airplane one more time and they start to let down the, their guard a little bit or, or, or vent. And, and, and how I know you've heard this a lot too. Um, you know, you'll have a veteran uh, visit the museum and they'll be with their family. And then, you know, the veteran will kind of walk around the aircraft or whatever, start telling stories and the family members will come up to us and say, they, he has never shared this with us. We've never heard any of these. Uh, and you know you're kind of getting a peek into something special, a special part of their lives. Right. And sometimes it, it is, uh, it's just that particular artifact. And it can be something as, as huge and obvious and as, as fire-breathing as a uh, you know, veteran going for a flight in our B-17. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, Chris and I work together at the Experimental Aircraft Association. And we do own and operate a B-17 just like uh, the one that you see uh, in this, uh, the minute that we're talking about. So you obviously, you, you put a veteran in that situation and they're completely surrounded and immersed in everything they did back then, but other times too, and Chris, you get a front row seat to this. You know, they might walk into the museum and you might see a, a patch or, you know, a, a pin or some other really small artifact, but some some touch point can really bring those stories out. You know, one of the things that I always uh, love to, 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 to mention is uh, it was at September Swing one year, the uh, our, our our World War II era hangar dance. Uh, how you usually uh, are the uh, the MC for the evening, and uh, it's just a really special night. And one of the things uh, that a veteran, the, one of those items that touched a veteran, uh, and he mentioned uh, he mentioned it to me. It was just a small passing by, but we get a lot of you know the theme of the night is for people to dress up in 1940s attire, and. Uh, it was a simply a, a young lady dressed up in 1940s attire, and she had like the seam up the back of her nylons. And he saw that, and he was like, "I haven't seen that in like 60 years, like that." <laughs> and he's like, "That just really just that." She, he goes, "That just totally took me back to the 1940s. It was just kind of a cool moment." Wow, I, it's it's it is amazing, and the, you know, right now we are. We're in the last year. I mean, it's a, it's a tragic thing in all part of life, but we're in the last years of knowing World War II veterans. I mean, they're all reaching the century mark now, and uh, you know, it, you sometimes forget. You see these old these older men and women, 
and you know you see a frail person but you think at the time they were just kids going you know right. coming, going into war coming back changed after saving the world that they you know they, they came back to the world that they had saved and they have to tr- try to fit their lives back into that that thing that left that they left behind but the, the the world they left behind isn't there anymore it's a whole different place and i i have i i know there's there's been many attempts at doing this type of a film but i don't think any of them caught the feeling caught the the emotion and the reality like this film did right and they did such a nice job they made uh um you know, they didn't go overboard and say, well, we need one person to represent each branch of the service or we need, you know, we need to make sure we have somebody from every theater and, you know, different age groups and things like that. But they chose these three characters and just by putting them together, uh, you know, they're hitching a ride on this B-17 as we're seeing in this minute. Just those three guys uh, were, it was exactly the right character choices to tell a huge cross-section of uh, of the experiences of the war yeah and, and doing it in very subtle ways i mean right, right now at this beginning of the movie um weiler is setting up uh the rest of the film giving you the stakes this is this is the exposition part of the movie and he's right. doing it in a way that you know he could he could roll he could roll credits over this and explain oh well, this is the situation here at the end of world War II, and this was but he's just letting the people you know the the people that we are going to be involved with these three men uh he lets them tell each of their own stories and what drives them what motivates them we see fred derry who's you know he's a he's an army officer he's sat in the you know or knelt in the front of a b17 dropping bombs and he's done with all that he's really happy to be out you know getting out of the service and, and getting back to the house that he you know the house and the wife that he had dreamed of he he had the wife part and he just needed to get back to the home and and having a job uh so you know fred exp- explains that here in a in a sentence or two right. and uh you know al who is uh, he's he's a, a late bloomer i guess to the to the to the war he uh he spent you know he, he spent time as a as an nco and uh he hears the story of what fred wants and doesn't say anything about this i um he just said, you know, that's he. He doesn't think that Fred is being unreasonable for for his dreams, um, but they each have their own dread of getting back and finding out how much has changed. They're really not sure what's going on. Um, right, and that, uh, you know, that that line about, uh, you know, give me that much and I'm rehabilitated. That's yeah. You know, that's that's powerful stuff. Because how many people even use that word rehabilitation back then? We hadn't we didn't have the term PTSD like we said earlier. But how many people looked at that uh, in an in a in a popular film as yeah, I, something that you know the, the movie ends uh, when the uh, the last Nazi is shot down or blown up, and you grab yeah. the girl and kiss her, and the credits roll, and happily ever after. And this is like the movie that that starts the morning after every other, you know, great rollicking World War II film. Yeah, and he he the, the other thing I mean, all of these guys as they're sitting, we've all we've all seen different you know uh, private snafu and all that. These guys have been sitting down in front of sixteen millimeter projectors around the world, watching army films about what you can expect after you get out of the war, and here's what you know, here's what the, the GI Bill is going to do for you, and all this other stuff. In in fact, I mean, gosh, uh, 
Harold Russell, who was, you know, he plays Homer Parrish in this, he starred in one of those films called uh, uh, Diary of a Sergeant. And Which, that's, it, I watched that just before we started uh, recording this evening. Oh, great. Yeah. And, oh, wow. and uh, boy, I, I think we probably talk more about Harold Russell tomorrow because he's he's in this scene, but we don't really see him. He's asleep. Yeah. Um, but boy, there is a revelation uh, that that guy has a story we could do. You know, we could do 180 episodes just on him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Brilliant stuff. But I mean, all the all these guys sat through similar films explaining what to expect when you're out of the, you know, out of the army. And, right. uh, and you know, the, the use of the term rehabilitation, this was the attitude. It's like, yeah, I don't I don't need all this stuff. Just get me home and I'll I'll take it from there. Yes. Um, and I love that that Fred wants a mild future. You know, a good job, yeah. a mild future and a little house just big enough for me and my wife. And that's, uh, I, it's just another example of the, the writing in this is so crisp and so, so precise. Yeah. And it shows, it shows a lot of, I mean, you know, these, these actors, well, except for Russell, these actors didn't go overseas, but Weiler was there. Weiler, you know, Weiler was flying and Weiler was out shooting while being shot at. So he under, he, he probably had more interactions with military men, uh, around the world than any of these guys, and he definitely helped direct direct this in the way that veterans would understand. Right, and Weiler, of course, uh, having done the the classic, uh, you know, must see viewing for anybody with any interest in World War II, period, much less World War II aviation, the Memphis Bell documentary. Yeah, and uh, not to name drop, but Chris, you and I uh, uh, both have uh, had a chance to spend some time with, interact with his daughter, Catherine. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's. An amazing honor, but yeah, I mean, it's it, what I love about that movie is it's yeah. There, I mean, there's an aspect of it that's very you know World War Two, and we're gonna do this, and, and you had to make a movie like that. But it's also very uh, it doesn't beat around the bush. It's very raw. It's this yeah. is it. We're flying combat. This is what combat's about. Um, it doesn't it doesn't go too over the top, in my opinion, uh, for like a publicity movie or something like that. Right, and that uh, that sensibility carries through uh, carries through to this. Um, you know, one of the other things in this uh, in this minute, and I know uh, Jim, you called this out in the notes. Um, I, I need to go back and watch the movie probably another two or three times and and make notes throughout. But I noticed several times in the movie there is uh, there is a subtlety to everyone's performance and and it'll be somebody sort of has a bit of a bit of dialogue and then they will they will make a quick little facial expression they will take a glance at something and it's very meaningful so in this minute um you know uh al says he's been married for 20 years and you know fred's surprised and of course you know dana andrews doing that uh, that mid-atlantic actor accent you know 20 years uh <laughs> comes back with it and as after he says it, he he looks down and he kind of touches his uh, those uh, overseas service bars on his uniform. Yeah, and he's yeah. he's looking at that and he's uh, he's marking time. And Jim, you had looked up what uh, as I I forget the units of those. Right. Those yeah, those are six month every six months during this time. They've changed over the time. They're different 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 ones right. mean different things. But on the uh, U.S. Army Air Corps at the time. You got overseas service for every six months, so he has um, I forget that whatever uh, two and a half years. So he yeah he has he has groups of uh, two four 
five. So he has five mm-hmm. service bars on there, which indicates he's been he's been overseas for the past two and a half years. So he he's probably thinking how how big a sleeve would he need? <laughs> right, forty exactly. of these babies. Yeah, yeah. I mean it'll be up over the shoulder and down his back. So. Yeah, if you had service bars for every six months uh, with your wife, and you know, <laughs> what that uh, what that would actually look like. But it's so it's so subtle. And, yeah. you know, we, we tend to think of, well, this is an old black and white movie and it's going to be, you know, subtle isn't always a word that comes to mind about classic movies. You know, you have affection for them, but they're kind of they're kind of cute or something like that. But, you know, if this film were made today, there would be a long, slow zoom into that sleeve and we'd yeah. be staring at those service bars and then he'd say, wow, I got one of these for every six months I was over there. 20 yeah. years, you know, <laughs> you'd have this exposition about it. And instead, he just sort of paws at it a little bit and takes a takes a look at it. And if you watch this movie closely, you'll see tiny little moments like that all over. Yeah, there's there's one that comes up to her. The, I'm not sure who has this minute, and they'll probably bring it up. But uh, pointing at the ruptured duck that uh, the uh, interloper has on his sleeve. Uh, oh, right. Everybody everybody knew what that you know that symbol was that you were a veteran that you you had you had been you know in the service and. Uh, you know, seeing that, saying, "Well, this guy's a fellow vet," but I don't, I don't want to get into that many because other people are <laughs> are going to be talking about that. I do have a question: that that ruptured duck. Do you wear it on your service uniform? Because I thought that's what uh, Al Stevenson's wearing on his right, uh, just below his lapel as he's laying there. I don't know what that insignia is, unless it's a ruptured duck. Let me bring that back up. You know, I for in my my knee jerk reaction, and Chris, maybe you would know better, but I always thought that was something you wore more as a as a civilian. That was the little. You know the thing yeah, that ties you back to your service. Yeah, that's what that's what I would think. But I, I don't know what that I don't know what that insignia is. I was trying to figure it out uh, before we were here, but I'm I'm not sure what that is. And you guys would know better than I do. Yeah, I always thought it was uh, unless maybe it's because he's he's getting out. He's out. He he put it on already, or you know, as yeah, a, do, like a do not disturb. <laughs> yeah, kind of like an unofficial. Uh, that's a good question, though. I'm not sure. It, I'm not sure at what point do you put that on. I, I knew it was uh, that you'd been a veteran, but I didn't think it was. I don't know. That's a good. Uh, I'd have to look that up too. Well, I, I've got another now. Since we got the question book open, I've got another question about the. Uh, uh, I don't know that much about the B17 controls, but should Al be leaning against that control panel the way he is? Because I just I, I don't know if there's any if there's any flight controls or if that's just like hydraulics for the bomb bay doors. But it just seems like he's going to start opening windows and stuff by leaning into the hydraulics there. So. Well, it doesn't. I can tell you, it doesn't make a good pillow. Um, yeah, there wouldn't be any uh, any particular flight controls down there. But on that left side, Chris, maybe you can picture better than I can. Um, you know, presumably it would it would strictly be. Uh, related to the bombardier's position yeah the only thing and, that would be kind of sensitive there would be the controls to open the bomb bay doors um so he could be opening are... them and closing them in his sleep <laughs> yes <laughs> um, and there is a rheostat in the middle and i'm not sure if there would be the uh the bombardier's autopilot is is right next to the bomb site itself right next to the norden site correct so yeah yeah, yeah. and the norton's been removed on this well right. we'll see yeah, that later yeah, but, uh, yeah. well the norton has been removed so somehow magically the nose of this b-17 <laughs> it's it's a studio apartment now <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. what's funny is that this i mean this looks this looks perfectly authentic to me 
And I, I think it's just because, or in large part, just because they made them smaller back then, the people, that is. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, Chris, you and I have both been up in the nose section <laughs> yeah. of a B-17. And, you know, there's... There's there's no room for two other guys. Yeah. <laughs> under, yeah. You know, any stretch of the imagination of the fact that you've got these three guys who looks like they're living in it for about three days. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Millennium Falcon or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So uh, I you know, I have to think that they it, it just seems there's too many interesting details for it not to have at least partially started life as a real b-17 nose yeah. section but they yeah. maybe they chopped the whole nose off which they would have had to do to shoot in anyway obviously the glass would be out and everything but yeah it's got wild yeah. walls and stuff but yeah. it's just really um a, a, it is beautiful thing in, in any case it's just uh yeah, it I, don't, I don't know how much like you said i don't know how much sleep you could get leaning in there <laughs> and on t- and basically uh Fred is sleeping on top of Al, and there's no. Right. <laughs> well, Rank like has his privileges. Of, yes, yeah, there yeah, you go. You know, Fred <laughs> I guess is, a, is a captain. I guess they touched on the fact that like military people say they could sleep anywhere. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, I think that's you know. it. It's just like, you know, nobody's shooting at you. You've got those four engines droning along. That is a lullaby right now. Four, yes, two or more big round engines in an airplane uh, will will. Uh, soothe the savage beast that's absolutely for sure yeah absolutely. it's like it's like those chairs at the mall that you lean back and hit the yes, gap with a dollar exactly. and win, which, uh, that, that's where my my favorite piece of found philosophy of my my son used to always want when he was little we'd go to the mall and he'd see these things and he's like can can i have a dollar can i try and and there was always a big sign uh next to the chairs and i always thought wow this is an amazing bit of philosophy because it always says chairs do not make change like, oh, <laughs> that's amazing! Very deep. Wow. Yes. Well, um, let's let's let uh, let's let Homer sleep, and we'll we'll come back uh, t- t- uh, tomorrow and, and chat a little bit more about. Uh, we're, we'll we'll get into more about about Harold Russell here, um, but uh, we'll yeah we'll uh, we'll go through uh, on the way out. Uh, I just want to let everybody know that uh, the Best Minutes podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, thebestminutes.com. Uh, on social media, you can find us at the usual places, which in this case is Butch's Place, the best years of our lives, Listener's Cafe out there on uh, Facebook and on Twitter at The Best Minutes. So anyway, we'll be here tomorrow. So uh, join us uh, next time here on The Best Minutes Podcast. Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.